Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. I will tell you of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and with trembling. The word of the Lord.
scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them saying, get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself, alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. One, two, veriverto. If done correctly, the bird is supposed to turn into a goblet. At least that is the lesson from Professor McGonagall that, in, that when she introduces transfiguration in one of the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> Veriberto, a Latin phrase meaning truly exchange. A true exchange of shape of transformation and alteration, usually to a more beautiful state. Of course, try telling that to so many of the Disney characters that we are familiar with, like that beast in Beauty and the Beast, who is transfigured into some scary, hairy lion thing with hopes to transfigure back into some handsome, beautiful form. There is Princess Fiona from the movie Shrek, 
who was under a spell in which she was a beautiful princess by day and an ogre at night. And of course the little mermaid Ariel, who was transfigured from a mermaid into a human, but has no voice. These are just a few of the examples of transfiguration that come to mind. But this morning, we have another transfiguration story to consider. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John high up on a mountain where they encounter God. We are all aware that in biblical times, important occurrences happen on mountains. When someone was going to a mountain to pray, they understood that person was trying to get closer to God. Our faith-filled ancestors knew about the mountain stories because their ancestors had told them about what happens on mountaintops. A great number of events happen on mountains. Jesus was tempted by the devil on a mountain. It was on a mountain where Jesus healed the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute. It's on the mountain where Jesus gives his famous sermon on the mount. And in the near future, it is on a mountain that Jesus is crucified. And it is on a mountain that Jesus gives a great commission to carry on seeking truth and preaching justice and leading with courageous compassion. And so here we are again on a mountain with Jesus. And suddenly, Jesus was transfigured and his face shone like the sun and he becomes dazzling white. And then they heard the Lord of the universe speak to Jesus alongside Moses and Elijah. And Peter, recognizing how special this moment is, says, if you wish, if you wish, Jesus, I will make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And before... Jesus could respond, a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my beloved, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It was the most dramatic, direct encounter that they have ever had with God. This year, I have been working on being more gentle with myself. Trying to let things go that are usually not about me or that I don't have any control over. And this is also a practice that I'm working to extend to others as well. Be gentle 
I don't know what someone is going through. So with gentleness, I invite us to reset our eyes on Peter. Because Peter is often picked on in this story for wanting to make dwellings for for everyone, for being short-sighted, for wanting to stay on the mountain. And I will admit, I have even picked on Peter in my sermon about this very issue. But this year, with gentleness and a new vision, I think we can learn something about discipleship from Peter. Peter, in awe, names what is happening. That something special, the presence of Moses, the presence of Elijah, the presence of God. And Peter names it and claims it and wants to share it and wants to celebrate it. And Peter is marking and recognizing that this is a revelation. That God's presence is among them. That they have encountered God. It's funny because we work so hard to mark so many encounters in our lives. From birthdays, for our children, our pets. We even mark gotcha days, right? Days that mark an adoption of our children and our animals. We honor anniversaries and weddings and deaths and we send cards and buy gifts and go out to eat and take note of these amazing events, both personally and communally. But how often do we mark our encounters of God? It warrants a question, what does an encounter with God even look like? Is it an answered prayer? A miracle? Is it a life saved? Is it gratitude? Is it someone buying your groceries when you have no money in your bank account? Is it an act of kindness or or you finally find a job? Is it someone showing up at just the right time? That answer will look different to us all. But I do believe that it's unlikely that our encounters with God are like this transfiguration experience that Peter and John and James have on top of that mountain with Jesus. So do we even recognize them? It is easy to hurry through our day and notice all the things that aren't going right. Or we think we don't have enough time at the end of our day to reflect on all that has happened. And we end up throwing up our hands in abdication that God is no longer a part of our lives. 
but Peter. Peter is trying to mark this encounter with the divine. And I think we can learn about discipleship from him. To take note and to mark our encounters with God. I think that if we pause and take note, if we write these things down before we rush to the next activity, that we take a moment and write down our encounters, we will see that we truly have them. And they may not always make sense. We may not even be able to fully express them. It may not even be the right time to do so. In our text, Jesus tells the three disciples to not tell anyone about this encounter as it's not the right time. But that doesn't keep Peter from taking note of it. Transfiguration Sunday, as this has come to be known, has a unique liturgical function, whether it ever meant to or not. But this Sunday, with this story, with this encounter, transfigures us liturgically from Epiphany to Lent. This Wednesday, we will begin our Lenten journey. A time of prayerful preparation as we make our way to Easter. And Lent is a perfect time to slow down and instill new practices. And may I suggest even noting where and when we encounter God. The front cover of your bulletin shares a question and space to answer that. And I invite you, instead of maybe leaving your uh, bulletin in your pews this Sunday, to take it home with you or create some other way to mark the times where you encounter God in a life-changing way, that you look for those places where you have a sense of awe, because I am willing to bet that they are there. And what we may find is that we are the ones who are transfigured, who are truly changed. Let it be so.